The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James. Described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Um, So many mentally ill people end up in the prison system. And it's a good outlet for me personally, too, because... So much of writing and publishing at a certain point starts to feel very tiring and kind of gross because you're always like, you know, trying to sell yourself, sell your own writing, and it can become very self-centered. And I, I like that I like that some of these other projects have nothing to do with me. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed. And this week, I've got another unique show. First up, I'm speaking with award-winning novelist and creative writing professor Callie White Van Bali, who chatted with me about the transition from literary fiction to true crime, her work with the Pan America Prison and Justice Writing Program, and taking chances. Callie's an award-winning Iowa-based author of novels, short stories, and essays. Her novel, The Space Between, penned as Callie Von Bali, won a handful of prestigious awards, including an American Book Award. And her latest is The Monsters We Make as Callie White, a mystery loosely based on the real-life unsolved Des Moines paperboy abductions of the early 80s. Pulitzer Prize finalist Lee Martin said of the book, The Monsters We Make kept me on the edge of my seat. I truly did read this remarkable new novel in one sitting. Callie's a regular contributor to the A&E Network Real Crime blog series, and her short stories and essays have appeared in the Coachella Review, Poets and Writers, the Writer's Chronicle, and many others. In this file, Callie and I discussed the many challenges writers had to overcome in 2020. Her advocacy for social justice through writing, how to cut yourself off from the rabbit hole of research, on writing what scares you, why writers need to lean on revision. And at that break, I've got a special segment with an inspiring young nonfiction writer you won't want to miss. Hint, she's an influencer, author, artist, and tech-savvy 10-year-old. Stay calm and write on. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, we're back on The Writer Files and I am ecstatic today to be joined by a special guest, 
I've got author and award-winning true crime writer Callie White Van Bali. Yeah, we um we're gonna get into all the things, and I'm I'm excited to uh, pick your brain about writing and the writing process and creativity and and of course your fantastic true crime. But um yeah, how are you how are you surviving uh, these days during this uh, tense time in history? It's you know the last few months have been it's been a tough year anyway. Just weird with having kids in school and trying to release a book. And then I've had uh, some pretty serious health issues myself towards the end of the year. It's, it's just been a pretty much a flaming turd from Mm. beginning to end. (laughs) Yeah, no, I haven't heard that at all. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear about your health, but I hope you're on the mend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think we've all kind of, we all kind of have the same sentiment about 2021. Uh, being one of the more challenging years of, uh, you know, uh, just yeah. ever, maybe. Yes, yes. Well, um, yeah, let's uh, dig into it and maybe wind back the clock a little bit for listeners, for us. You have this fantastic um, history and career. And then, of course, um, you know, as an award-winning author, you, you, you kind of have lived this itinerant lifestyle and done all these different wild things and you have your fingers in a lot of different um projects but yeah tell us a little bit about kind of how you got here the cliff's notes of the kind of the superhero origin story yeah i do have several different uh, writing venues and avenues that i've been involved in for several years i started writing um something like 20 years ago um i started out just in like a a community writers group um and then from there just started getting more and more serious. I was trying to write, um, my first novel at the time, um, and eventually finished the first novel, um, which is the space between and picked up a couple of nice little awards for that one. Um, started a second one, got an agent, published the second book. Um, and it was after my second book, I went back to graduate school and I got my MFA in creative writing Um, I really wanted to teach. I love teaching and got into teaching college level, um, in another MFA program. Um, and then from there kind of started branching out when I started working on this new novel, the monsters we make, um, that just came out really kind of found my, my uh, sweet spot in, in true crime, blending true crime and fiction. And from there I started picking up a lot of um, freelance, uh, nonfiction writing gigs, uh, writing articles about true crime, sometimes essays. Um, I've done a little editing. So I've kind of, yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of all of it at this point. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was looking at, I was looking at your bio and looking all the way back to you having been a waitress and of course, who hasn't, uh, what, what, (laughs) what itinerant artist hasn't waited tables or, Worked at a Christmas tree farm for a winter. <laughs> yeah, that was a poor winter. I was desperate for for money for presents that year. <laughs> Apparently, uh, this year, every Christmas tree in Colorado sold out like in minutes because I guess everyone was stuck at home wanting to do something. So, oh my gosh, those poor Christmas tree farm workers that must have been <laughs> busy got, and miserable. <laughs> it just got killed. <laughs> It was hard work. <laughs> People had to resort to cutting their own Christmas trees. So, uh, oh, geez. Yeah, pretty funny. But yeah, um, talk a little bit about kind of uh, the latest 
obviously you you said it's a little bit of a departure for you um and you're in a sweet spot that you're finding in your writing but but how how um the monsters we make differs from the space between and kind of that that transition or maybe um yeah. what that process was like for you yeah the my first two novels the space between and then the second one uh, is called the good divide um they they fell more into a general literary fiction category. The first one is about a, a school shooting and the effects on a family. The second one is a little more historical about a 1950s, 60s um, farm wife in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the third one, I, I started building the book around um, these real cases that occurred here in Des Moines, um, where I live. And it, I think that's with this story is a little bit where I finally found my stride. I found the genre, a genre that um, I'm genuinely interested in. I've, I've been kind of a true crime fan, mm-hmm. um, which not, you know, sometimes people don't really like to admit that, but I'm getting more open about it. Like it's, it's become a little more cool to be a true crime fan. I think in recent years, mm, absolutely. I love podcasts and, and documentaries and I, I, finally found a way to sort of merge it in with my writing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I meant by my sweet spot. And and it just kind of took off from there and settled into this, this particular genre, I think. That's cool. Yeah. There has been, um, podcasts have finally crossed into the mainstream, which is amazing in and of itself. But, um, there is a, the rise of the true crime podcast. And of course mm-hmm. the streaming model for television now is at its peak so uh yeah there's just more than ever to kind mm-hmm. of access and so as a regular contributor to any network um real cl- crime the real crime blog series over there um you've been writing kind of some nonfiction about kind of the origin stories of some of the more famous you know cold cases and and true crime stuff over there talk a little bit about that because i got a chance to read about the paperboy abduction cases mm-hmm. via that real crime blog um, that you wrote over there. And it is um, some of the backbone of the monsters we make. Is that right? It is. That's the case that um, I built the fictional um, story of the monsters we make around. And the, the A&E real crime blog writing gig came about kind of in a weird way because um, my original publication date for the monsters we make was in early June, but when the pandemic hit, um, my entire book tour got canceled through the summer and my launch date got pushed to later in August. And so I I had to work with my publicist on trying to find new avenues Mm -hmm. to just kind of promote and maybe use the real story to, to keep talking about the book. Um, so I, I had to pivot pretty quickly um, to pitching and trying to learn how to write some nonfiction article writing. And I, I had this very loose connection to an editor at, at A&E, um, got connected with her. I pitched her the, the Paperboy story, the real Paperboy story, and she picked it up. And we worked together so well that she's, um, she, she's come back and I've continued writing for her. Hmm. So, I've done a couple other stories that I pitched to her, and then now she's um, she comes to me with assignments um, that they're looking to to write a story on. Sometimes yeah. they're, and they're all real crime stories. Um, some of them are wild. Some I've heard of, some I hadn't. 
but it's been a totally different type of writing. And I've been surprised how much I've really enjoyed it. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll link to those, um, obviously your page over there at anetv.com. Yeah. And listeners can check out that writing as well. And of course, I'll link to your home base there, uh, callywhite.com. Yeah. And explain a little bit about what, with, uh, with the uh, pen name and the change of, or dropping the last name. Was that intentional? Was that um, to kind of distance yourself from your previous liter- literary stuff? Yeah, it's kind of a little of all the above. And I'll, I'll be totally honest on this one. So my first two books were under my married name, Callie Vinbali. And when I um, sold The Monsters We Make um, with my new publisher, I was, like I said, I was kind of venturing into a new genre um, and the publisher was looking to kind of get a fresh start. Um, and Callie White is my maiden name. And it also happens to be a lot easier to spell, to remember. I did run into that a lot. Um, Van Bali is, um, you know, it, people don't always know how to pronounce it, remember how to spell it. <laughs> Right. It happens. And you know, the other reason, and this is where I'll just be honest, was my first two books, um, they were with small presses and they had, you know, very um, modest sales numbers. And so starting in a new genre, it, it gave me some distance from those sales numbers. So there was sort of a, a personal, but also a business reason to start over yeah. under a different name. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, you've... <sighs> You've got this interesting piece with not only as a a managing editor of the past 10, this uh, Mm -hmm. essay, journal, and collection, um, but also you volunteer for the uh, Penn American Prison and Justice Writing Program, which I was fascinated to learn a little bit more about. Um, I hadn't heard of it. Yeah, but talk a little bit about kind of these these other things that you do. Yeah. So the past 10, um, it's an online journal and the idea, it was created by a dear friend of mine. We went to graduate school together. His name is Donald Quist. He's also a a published writer. He started it by himself, um, several years ago where he started asking people, um, he would give them a date, um, and say, where were you on this exact date 10 years ago? And Mm -hmm. he just was really curious to see what people's responses were of their t- this 10-year journey that they had been on mm-hmm. and how different their life was or um, what had changed, um, you know, sort of that he was really delving into kind of this power of time. And he had, he had been running it by himself for a couple of years, and he's also a professor and a writer and was really overwhelmed with it at one point. So I joined the team. Um, back in late 2018 um, as his managing editor and started running it. We've since added um, an online editor. Um, and then we, we've we had some interest in developing it into an, an anthology, sort of like a best of with these essays. Um, so through the past 10, I started getting some editorial experience and curating experience that I'd never had before. Um, and from there... Around the same time, I started really getting into a lot of this true crime writing, but also as an offshoot of the true crime writing, sort of social justice writing in Mm -hmm. general, which led me to PEN America and some of the volunteer opportunities they have um, through their prison and justice writing program. Back in 2017, um, I had a tragedy occur across the street in my neighborhood 
when um, my I, I, there was a family I'd lived next to for many years, and their mentally ill son, um, who was schizophrenic and and desperately undertreated, um, mm. he had a psychotic episode, and he murdered his father, his mother, and his sister. Oh my gosh! And so I, through that, I started getting involved in um, mental health care reform here in my home state of Iowa. And that led to sort of that social justice arm I was talking about, which led to the PEN America prison and justice writing system mm. or, uh, program that they run. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do like a mentor program um, where uh, they partner writers or professional writers with prison inmates who are looking to trade maybe some creative pages. And then I've also helped with their fellowship program where I read applications and help some of that judging system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I've done a little editing for one of their anthologies too. Amazing. Yeah. That no, seems like an important thing. And I, I've spoken with a guest recently that uh, is kind of using writing as a, uh, you know, kind of as that art therapy piece mm -hmm. for um, survivors of suicide in their families. And um, oh, yeah, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. I mean, I, I think that would be something that prisoners would really get something out of. Um, and obviously some of the, <laughs> some of, some of the great writing in history has been written from prison. <laughs> right. Interestingly and enough. Yeah. And it's, you know, and mental health care became such a, a big passion mm -hmm. project of mine. And that's, that's huge in the prison system. Yeah, um, so many mentally ill people end up in the prison system and it's a good outlet for me personally too, because so much of writing and publishing at a certain point starts to feel very tiring and kind of gross because you're always like, you know, trying to sell yourself, sell your mm -hmm. own writing and it mm -hmm. can become very self-centered and I, I like that I like that some of these other projects have nothing to do with me and no. I'm not trying to sell myself or something. It's I'm using a skill to help someone else. So that's been the other benefit. Yeah. Right. It's also been linked to um, longevity. In fact, I interviewed a scientist who had written a book specifically about, you know, how um, volunteer work can actually extend uh, your life because it uh, offers something that you can't really find elsewhere often. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, that's great. Now, before I wrap up with Callie, let me take a quick break to introduce you to my bonus guest, Prisha Hidao. She is a 10-year-old from Louisville, Kentucky, and the author of Pandemic 2020, A Nine-Year-Old's Perspective. Prisha is an elementary student who holds USA state and national level rankings in chess and math competitions. She's also a budding philanthropist with a big heart. In this file, Prisha and I talked about the importance of note-taking, staying positive through tough times, her favorite book, and how she helps the less fortunate. I know the audio is a little rough on this one, but it's an inspiring story, so stay with us. We are rolling with a special segment. I have a very special guest today, Prisha Hidao. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am very well. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Yes, of course. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk to you. You know, I t traditionally have older writers on the show, but I do love talking with the younger generations <laughs> about their uh, fantastic uh, endeavors. And um, how old are you, Prisha? 
So I'm 10, but I wrote the book at the age of nine. All right. And the book that we're referring to is Pandemic 2020, A Nine-Year-Old's Perspective. Uh, congratulations on the work. So this is a work of nonfiction that you wrote to kind of help other young people through this very challenging time in history. Is that correct? Yeah, but not just young. It could be any type of age. I think this book is, it can relate to many people because yeah. we all are having the same struggles. But yeah, mm -hmm. you could take it as something that helps younger children too. Yeah. Well, I love the, the content of the book. And of course, I want to talk all about um, mm -hmm. that. And we'll kind of dig into that. And I'll put a link to the book in the, in the notes. But let's talk about how you came to becoming a young author and kind of the process behind it, because I understand you were kind of not initially thinking about publishing a book when you started writing notes about things that were happening to you during the pandemic, right? Yes. So what happened was I watched the news ever so often with my family because, um, you know, COVID cases were coming in and out and we wanted to be updated. So then I decided to start writing note cards to remember my experience. So for example, maybe I wrote today, I called my friend and we talked about this or that, just ordinary things uh, anyone would write. So then after that, I started getting more detailed and started writing essays. And I would research about COVID-19 and its symptom and how it's affecting people. So um, those were the essays. And then we were walking by the lake me and my parents, and my mom's like, hey, you know what? You should start writing a book. And then my dad's like, hey, that's a great idea. So then <laughs> I sat down at my dining table, and we, we just started it. And that's that's basically how the process started. That's really cool. So, so were you writing every day kind of a little bit more um, of each of the essays that you then turned into chapters, as you put it? Um, of course, you, the, the book has 10 different chapters. Um, talk a little bit about that process. So I, I, for the note cards, I definitely wrote them every single day. But for essays, I wanted to make sure I had enough information that it would be sophisticated. So it did take me um, a few days to find information to write the essays. And the essays were very similar to what my book's content is except it has a lot about COVID-19. So yeah. then when I wrote my book, it was basically when the My Life Before COVID-19, I just got started. Um, this book didn't have many edits at all. It was a very my perspective and it, it's original from me. Yeah, yeah. So do you feel like you found your voice as a, as a young author? Do you feel like nonfiction is something that you enjoy writing or do you also like writing creative fiction pieces? Well, actually, I think I was in the mix for both. For fiction, when I was young, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, I used to write about fiction. I would make my own stories up in class. We would also have, you know, the subject writing. So that was definitely a thing. Then when I started writing this book, I didn't take it as fiction or nonfiction, I just started writing my perspective. And I guess at the end of the day, it did turn out to be a nonfiction book. So yeah. I did enjoy writing it. So I guess I do like writing nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. And it shows. 
Well, um, you have multiple talents, and of course, you are very well-spoken for a fifth grader, and uh, it also seems that you've got uh, some public speaking experience, but not only that, but you you have a national-level ranking in chess and math competitions? Yeah, so basically every year, me and my, my dad would prepare me, and I would prepare myself for an international math kangaroo contest. And I would go every year. And then that year um, that passed by, um, I'm pretty sure it was 2020s. Um, I basically did the test. It was online, you know, gotta be online, virtual. It's all over the place now. Everybody's (laughs) crazy over electronics, you know, but off point. I took the test online and then I I got my seventh in state and then 21st nationally. So I was very happy with that. And then for chess, I've been playing for maybe around four-ish years you could pick up. So um, I got taught by um, my dad. He is really good at chess. So then he decided to teach me and I learned and I picked it up. And so before like lockdown and quarantine and taking precautions, I used to go to tournaments. Um, And yeah, that's that's how chess went for me. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Congratulations. It seems like all of the hard work is paying off for you. (laughs) Do you have plans to uh, work on any other books in the future? Or what are you focusing on right now? I mean, I know that you're um, back in school. Are you you in school remotely or are you uh, going in person these days? That's a great question. Actually, I am online in school. I'm not sure what's going to happen with my school if we're going to go back in person. But for now, I am online. Yeah, yeah. And do you have plans to write another book? So I haven't gone to that level yet thinking about it. But I definitely do like writing a book. So, you know, you should look out for one. So yeah, (laughs) it was really fun writing it. Cool, cool. Well, I love your tips for online schooling because I I have a, uh, a second grader myself and I find it's um, very important to do a lot uh, to employ a lot of the tips that you have here, and I've often reminded her she needs to be presentable, not in her pajamas for class, and not laying down in her bed, which she would prefer to do. But uh, you have some great tips in here, and of course, um, last more, I appreciate the reminder to really focus on the positive things. It seems like um, that's what you yourself are doing right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, to be honest, I can't tell you that every single day I've got ready and I've on my video and I was ready for class. So there are many days this year that I was in my PJs, my video was off, I was listening and got good grades. So there you go for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Um, during this whole online school session, I think it's um, taught me a lot. It's like, I didn't know the importance of school that much because when we actually did online schooling and started it, I kind of saw how much I knew and all of the assignments were listed in Google Classroom. And I noticed what work I did Mm -hmm. and what work my classmates did. So it was definitely um, something I learned. And we still did a lot of online things over this past summer that went by. And I learned a lot of stuff. So I improved in dancing. Um, I learned yoga and exercise and we did a lot of that with my mom. And then I also did chess and then kangaroo, as you said, 
And before COVID-19 um, and everything, I did swimming too. So there you go, painting, a lot of different things I picked up. So I'm very grateful that um, quarantine happened. And you're probably wondering, Prisha, and why is that so? Um, well, the reason why is I know there are a lot of negative things. I want to meet my friends. I want to have fun. I want to play. But at the same time, if you pick up what positive things are, it overwhelms the negative. So I think it, this uh, quarantine, um, this historic experience has really taught me and not just me, but the world a lot. So I'm very grateful for it and that my family and I are safe. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. And we are, we are grateful as well to have your uh, wisdom. And uh, of course, uh, you mentioned the importance of essential workers and first responders. And I understand that you are also uh, donating some to uh, a food bank in your area. Is that correct? Yes, I think it's very important. Um, the first responders definitely helped in... Um, quarantine while quarantine was happening still till this day um i'm very i'm very thankful that we have these people that are helping each and every uh, minute and it's very it's it's very good feeling with that but yeah well um tell me this what uh right now is your favorite book my favorite book i'm not gonna be biased but honestly <laughs> i don't have a lot of books at my house I'm reading whatever I got, but I just published this book. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> stuck in my brain, to be honest. So um, there you go with that. And for the donations, um, for that, yes, I donated 1,050 meals to Dare to Care. But then recently I added another 1,000 um, additional meals to Dare to Care. And I also donated $500 to the Team Kentucky Fund. Um, that's looking to Governor Bashir. So that happened. And my book sales, uh, most of them are all towards a donation. Because as I said in my other interviews, I divided my book sales in three parts. The major part was for donations, as I'm doing right now. The other part of it, which was probably like 20, 30% of it, was for my education because I think that's very important. And we've noticed that over quarantine and over um, online school and stuff. So I kept a portion for that. And then the, the most little, but the most exciting portion, just to, um, just to have a good time and just to keep that for any uh, um, additional things coming by. But yeah, that, that's what I'm doing, donations. So it Amazing. makes me very happy to see, you know, um, people from Dare to Care, like they having a happy face, people that um, don't have shelter, people that don't have food. We don't understand their crisis. And when we help them out, it touches your heart. So that definitely was something that affected me when I did donations. So, yeah. Well, we salute you and your fantastic work. Thank you so much for coming on here. I will, of course, Thank mention you. the book one more time, Pandemic 2020, A Nine-Year-Old's Perspective written by a uh, very astute and uh, wise 10-year-old. Yeah, where uh, else do you want to point listeners out there um, to connect with you? So I have my website, prushadow.com. You can check it out. And also my book is available on Amazon. 
and you can go to my website and click on a link. It'll take you to um, the place where you can get my book too. Yeah. Um, I think that for the book, each and every purchase that's being made, it's mainly going to donations and helping people in need. So everyone, every person out there that has um, got a copy of my book, I'm very thankful and I encourage others to do so because we're helping the community here. Fantastic. I will um, just uh, sum it up with description of the book, a nine-year-old's perspective, um, an informative, honest, heartfelt, and emotional memoir slash handbook useful to a wide range of readers. And there are times in life that will not always go as planned. That's an understatement. This is one of those times. Accept and embrace and let the future come our way. Prisha, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Well, um, let's go back to the monsters we make for fans of Renee Denfeld and Sherry LaPena, who's been on this show. Comes I've a rich heard that episode. <laughs> she was a great interview. <laughs> she is awesome. Um, comes a rich atmospheric family drama set in the 80s following the disappearances of two paper boys from a small Midwestern town. Of course, I'll link to the book and uh, you've got a, just a wall of blurbs that I could read. But um, yeah, talk kind of, let's talk about your creative process. And um, you teach writing still to mm -hmm. this day. But yeah, um, give us a kind of a, a mini seminar and kind of how you prep the desk and uh, yeah, how you, how you're, getting words onto the page in an effective, <laughs> an effective way. Oof. Well, effective <laughs> is probably not something I'm going to be able to talk very um, coherently about. Um, I, well, first of all, I have a very slow process, unfortunately. Um, I usually start with uh, some level of, of uh, research on every book I've ever written. I've done some level of research. With the monsters make we make, I had to do um, yeah. a large amount because I was trying to um, really get all the facts down on the real cases themselves, sure. and then figure out how all that would fit into this fictional story. Um, and at some point, I have to cut myself off because you know research can be a rabbit hole that you fall headfirst down into and oh, never yeah. to return to actually then right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I try and give myself like um, a month, a couple months at most. I think this one I did around a month and a half of research um, into the old cases between the, all the interviews mm. I did and reading old newspaper articles. And then I start writing the draft longhand, which is partly why my process is so slow. Um, I write everything by hand in just old spiral notebooks. Um, and then after I get, you know, several pages going, then I start typing it into a Word document and kind of cleaning it up. And then I go back to handwriting and then typing it. And that's sort of how I forge the, the first draft. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's kind of messy and inefficient and slow. Um, but it's, in my case, it's just the only way I, that keeps the ideas flowing. If I just go straight to a blank document on a computer, I think I sort of freeze up. <laughs> and can't like nothing happens and mm. um that blanks white screen um yeah. so something about the connection between my brain and my hand moving across a piece of paper gets ideas flowing better um and my first drafts are typically horrible um they're pretty skeletal and they're very messy and so 
I feel like my books are primarily written in the revision process. Mm-hmm. I, I can go back and rewrite an entire book. Probably each book I've rewritten no less than five times beginning to end. Um, which is another reason my process is so slow and inefficient. Often I, I don't even really understand what it is I'm even writing about until <laughs> I start the second, third draft mm-hmm. um, and realize, oh, it's actually, this is actually what the story is about. It's not about this. So that's the process in a nutshell. That sounds very familiar. I have heard yeah. this. I have heard this story before. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, kind of with your advice to your fellow scribes, um, I'll ask you a couple, a couple fun ones. Uh, what do you think, kind of in your estimation, maybe this isn't that fun, but what, what do you think makes a writer truly great? Oh, that is a good question. I think what makes a writer truly great is being fearless, writing about things that are uncomfortable or scary or trying to write something maybe they've never written before or branching out or um, just putting it out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, for audience consumption, uh, you know, being really personal, going to hard places. Do you have some faves uh, that are sitting on your nightstand right now or just from antiquity, um, maybe particular influences for oh. true crime or, or other that you're just yeah, kind of st- I um a couple of my favorites that I read this year that were kind of crime mystery. Um, I really loved Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Mm. Um, she that's set in Philadelphia. Um, she, uh, and it's it's a heavy uh, crime novel. And then I read recently. I just read Saint X mm. by Alexis. I think her last name is pronounced um, Shapekin. Um, and she did some really kind of cool stuff in the structure of that. It's a mystery kind of crime slash um, psychological story. Um, but she took a lot of chances, I think, in, in some of the structure of that book that really impressed me. And then I read a lot of other stuff, too. I, I For teaching, I have to read a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved Untamed by Glennon Doyle mm. from last year. That was such a huge hit. Do you have a favorite literary character of all time? I have a tie, I think. Um, <laughs> Scout Finch is probably my classic mm-hmm. favorite character. She's just like so perfectly written. Um, but more contemporary, I one of my favorite books of all time is The Book of Ruth by Jane Hamilton. Mm. And the main character in that book is named Ruth Dahl. And she's just sort of this sympathetic loser of a character that prevails that you want to prevail by the very end. <laughs> she, she remains one of my favorite characters of all time. Sympathetic loser. Um, yeah, I can, I can, uh, relate with that. <laughs> That's sentiment. my kind of character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like a sympathetic loser. Well, if you could have dinner with any author from any era at your favorite place, post pandemic, of course, post pandemic, uh, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh. All expense paid. All expense paid. Um, <laughs> well, I'd have to go with Jane Hamilton. I, I've i met her in passing a couple times hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm not dangerous, I promise. She probably, <laughs> I probably startled, scared her a little bit by my <laughs> ardor and how 
much of a super fan I am, but I like to actually sit down and have dinner with her and talk to her about her body of work and all her books and her writing career. And, um, I, she, that I would pick her hands down. And I thought she's a Midwesterner too. So I think I would try and take her somewhere in the Midwest that I know. Um, Here in Des Moines, there's my favorite restaurant um, downtown Des Moines. It's called Centro. It's got great food, great wine. Mm. Um, So I'd keep it. I'd keep it in the Midwest. Okay. Yeah. uh, I'm going to point back at your home base, of course, CallieWhite.com. You can uh, find all of Callie's writing, the links to the book, all the books, essays, and more. And then, of course, information about uh, book clubs, advocacy, on and on. So that's probably the best place to connect with you. Any, anywhere else you want to point listeners? Yeah, my website's probably the best place. And I, you know, I have a, an author page on Facebook. Um, so I, I connect with a lot yeah. of people on Facebook. Yep. Yeah. I've got at Callie Writing on Facebook and Twitter yep. and Instagram. So that's a good one. Yes. At Callie yep. Writing. That's an easy one to remember. We'll, we'll put links to all those. And of course, The Monsters We Make is available wherever fine books are sold. Um, bookless set of the book, an air of menace laced with melancholy hangs over every page, a mourning for a more innocent time that perhaps never was real. Um, I thought that was good. And of course, Pulitzer Prize finalist Lee Martin said, uh, I truly did read this remarkable novel in one sitting. It's, it's, a it's a great, you know, it's a great piece of work, but it, it really, it truly is compelling. So it does kind of suck you in. Be, beware listeners. Uh, you can have, um, you. you can enjoy this one. So. Thank you. If you. Do you want to offer a pearl of wisdom to aspiring, your aspiring uh, scribes just on kind of how to keep going, how to keep their chin up during this interesting time? And, and Oh, yeah. Um, you know, my biggest piece of advice is to, um, is to just learn to embrace revision. You know, getting feedback and can be, it can be dispiriting sometimes to have to go back and keep rewriting a piece um, but you know, you, you just never know when that last, when that, you know, seventh or eighth rewrite could be the gem that helps that piece fly and find a home, a publisher, an editor, whatever. Yeah. Um, just embrace it. Don't fight it. <laughs> Love that. Perfect way to wrap up. Congrats on all of your successes and, uh, the latest, we appreciate your time and your wisdom and do come back, uh, and visit us again. Thank you so much. It was great to visit with you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.